You're listening to the Empowered Woman, Badass and Unfiltered Podcast, a place for inspiration, empowerment, and personal development. Showcasing badass women from all over the world, giving tips on personal development, mindset, and healing. I'm your host, Olivia, transformational success coach for spiritual female entrepreneurs. Now let's dive into this episode. Welcome back to the Empowered Woman, Badass, and Unfiltered Podcast. And we are in season nine, the most impactful guest season. And I've got a major impactful guest here today. This woman, listen, when I was recording her podcast the first time, um, I knew then that this podcast, like this whole, like the Empowered Woman, Badass, and Unfiltered, would change my life because it was just, I... I had to fight back the tears from her story, but the amount of grace and forgiveness that she had for um, her ex-husband was so paramount. And it, it really, it really helped me to understand that, you know, everybody's struggling with somebody, something, everybody is going through something, whether it's something that you think might be easy, or you might think that you could never go through regardless of that we should always be kind and people deserve happiness peace and um to be in a loving environment and you know that is something that marcia has actually helped people do um she has turned her pain into purpose and and helped so many women leave abusive relationships and i'm just so honored to have her back today um, I've kept in contact with her, of course, and, um, you know, just throughout the past couple of years of this, cause she was on season one and we're on season nine. So it's officially two years at this point. And, um, yeah. So Marcia, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me again. Of course. So do you want to do a little recap of like what, where you were sure. in the last episode? Okay. Well, um, we were talking a lot about uh, the doctoral degree that I've been working on, mm-hmm. and I'm getting really close. So starting to, uh, I'm actually conducting my study now with police officers, and I've definitely hit a speed bump. I've only had two participants. I need 12 officers to call me and really share their stories. So we may have to change the type of research we do. Um, instead of doing direct interviews, we may turn to content analysis. Mm. So we'll go through interviews that other people have done with police officers in the past about domestic violence calls. And we'll draw on their material since we have only been able to get two people to participate in the last three months. So that's one thing that I've been working on. And then I continue to do work with victims. Um, my husband and I recently went to New York. And I have to be careful what I share, but suffice it to say, it was a situation where two young girls were being um, molested, and the um, the lady that got them away was actually their aunt. And there had been domestic violence between their parents, but the mom had left the girls there, had left them and left the state. And so the aunt intervened on behalf of the girls, and. I'm just going to share this story because it's just so, it was such a miraculous thing to me. 
Is it okay if I go ahead and share it here? Oh, go ahead. Right? Go ahead. I love it. Okay. Okay. So we went to New York. Um, the, the aunt was a childhood friend of mine, and she reached out on Facebook and contacted me for help. And so we went close to where I grew up, not the exact town that I grew up in, but close to it. And before we went, we did some preparation with our church. We did a bunch of praying. And, you know, we had been sharing a little bit about the case as we as things had been unfolding. And so we asked our church for prayer and we went to church the morning that we had planned to take the trip. We, we went Sunday afternoon. We slept over Sunday night and we attended court with her on Monday morning. Well, the sermon and we also had a, a special speaker that came and did a little bit. And there were two Bible verses that they talked about. So the first, the first Bible verse was uh, the Bible verse where Jesus says, you know, ask anything in my name and you will receive it. You just need to ask. And the second Bible verse was oddly about spirits being bound on earth, being bound in heaven as well. So any spirit that you bind here on earth will be bound in heaven as well. And I thought, a lot about these Bible verses on the way to the hotel in New York that night. And we got up the next morning. We met with a client the night before. We met her for dinner, we went over some of her evidence, things like this. We got up, we went the next morning, we had coffee with her, breakfast. And then we went to the courthouse. And we were not allowed to go in because when minors are concerned, you know, they only allow the parties and the lawyers and people related to services for the minors into the room. And of course, we were there to advocate for, you know, an adult in the situation. Um, she was trying to get custody of these girls and the abusive uh, parent, the abusive father didn't want her to have custody. And the girls were so terrified that they had actually run away from home and gone to a local shelter for young girls. So the outcome was really important because the court could have forced the girls to go back. And so we sat outside the room and I started looking through um, the allegations that the girls had put forward. And it suddenly occurred to me that a lot of the things that he had done to the girls, according to their stories, were the exact same things that had been done to me by my ex-husband. And this thought came into my head and I thought, it's got to be a demon. It's got to be a demon that goes from man to man and organizes this stuff because these details were so rich. And again, I can't tell you the details, but, you know, rest assured, they were the same. He was doing the same things to these girls and they were really odd things. Okay. Not like common things that sexual abusers do. They were very strange and specific. So that Bible verse came back to my head and I started praying. And I asked God to bind any demons that might be controlling this father, this man. And, you know, I just kept praying and asking in Jesus name. Well, they were only in there for about 10 minutes and they all poured out of the courtroom. And the father came over close to where we were sitting <clears throat> and he motioned and he wanted the aunt to come talk to him. And so my husband, you know, he's so cute. He's, he's the bodyguard, right? He's a really big dude. If you've seen pictures of him before, he's, he's just a big dude. He used to be a bouncer 
So he does security for our consultancy. And, you know, I'm looking at his face and he's nervous. He's watching the guy like a hawk to make sure he doesn't do anything to our client. Right. And I'm just sitting and I'm just listening. Like I'm listening to what the guy is saying. And he turns to our client and he says, look, I just want my girls to be happy. So if it would make them happy to come live with you, I'll sign them over to you right now. And we just couldn't believe it, Olivia. We were stunned. So going back to this idea that you spoke about, compassion for abusers, Mm -hmm. was this man a captive to these demons? Mm. Were these demons organizing his thoughts, his actions, and what he was doing to his daughters? And did my prayer to bind those demons allow the father to say what was in his heart for his daughters? He wanted what was best for his daughters. He knew he wasn't best for his daughters, but he had to be, maybe maybe that demon had to be bound so that he could say what was in his heart and free those girls. So the end of the story is of course a happy one. The, the girls got to go live with their aunt. She has custody of them. And now they're in a place where they're safe. And I just praise God. It was a miracle that never, ever, ever happens. We don't have abusers that just sign their kids away. It just doesn't happen. It was an unprecedented case for us. And, you know, I just, I know it's really heavy and very spiritual, but I definitely just give the praise to God because we were praying and we were using a tool that our pastor had talked to us about in church that Sunday. And we just had these, this amazing results in that case. So that's one of our latest cases that I just think it's just such a blessing that we were able to be a part of it, that God was able to use us and that these girls are now safe. Oh yes. And you know, we rarely (laughs) ever, we rarely ever pray for the abuser. You know, just when you think about any, any situation, you know, yeah. we automatically condemn them. We automatically, and not saying that their actions are right. Praying for them is not saying their actions are right. It is no way. so they can get the help that they need because it, it is so like, you know, you know, if it's specific thing <laughs> like that, like the, oh man, that's, yeah. that's just. Yeah, insane. I, I it, thank it, you so much for sharing. Oh, you're welcome. It was amazing. I mean, it, it's definitely you know in my life, um, in this work, we do see some supernatural, spiritual things, but it's not an everyday occurrence. It's really not something we see every day. But for me, that was so profound. And people could say, "Oh, that's a coincidence," you know, maybe, but but it could also equally have been the hand of God in that situation. And I'm just so grateful for the way it worked out. Like I said, I'm just grateful that we were able to be a part of that. So we have been traveling a little bit for consultancy stuff (laughs) and, um, you know, lots of other cases here too. And it's just been such a pleasure recently to see some of our former clients thriving. Um, We had one gal, we worked with her for the better part of three years to get her girls back. 
And, um, and this happens a lot. Women lose their kids a lot during these situations, domestic violence situations. A lot of times the court will just award the children to the abuser because he's the one that has the steady job. Mm -hmm. His house is on the, you know, his name is on the house. He has the better community support. And so a lot of times women lose their kids and that's what happened to this gal. And we worked with her for three years fighting in the court system and she got her girls back. And it is such a blessing to see them thriving. You know, they live in our local community. So I get to see them every day or not every day, but frequently. And it's just wonderful. I'm so, I just, I'm really grateful to be a part of helping people that way. You know? Oh my, I mean, did you ever think that you would be helping so many people the way that you're helping them? No, I, you know, my dad used to tease me. He was a pastor and he used to say, he used to call me his little missionary. He used to be like, yep, this one's my little missionary. You know, she tells everybody about Jesus. She's not afraid to share her faith. And, and he used to tease me, you know, and, and I used to be like, oh gosh, I'm not going to be a missionary. I'm going to do horses. That's my thing. I'm going to be a professional horse rider. I'm going to ride in the Olympics. I'm going to train horses. Never having kids, by the way. I I never wanted to get married or have kids. And I think that's the funniest joke, right? Because, you know, now I've gotten married twice. Once to my abusive ex-husband and then remarried after all of those things. And I have eight kids. So, you know, I, that just cracks me up how God has this plan for your life that you never imagined for yourself. But when you live within and work within that plan, there's so much peace and you just, you have so much purpose and so much drive and, you know, you really don't have time to, to be like stressed or worried because God just keeps you so busy all the time. I mean, yeah, he's always bringing things to my door that need attention. Um, I would love to tell you about another case we worked on recently that is something straight out of, um, it could be a lifetime movie. And I do feel comfortable talking about it. I'm just going to be really careful about, you know, I don't want to give any details that might identify anybody. So I'll be a little bit careful. So we attend a really small church and we have for close to 20 years. And about three years ago, a gentleman came to our church and he was on the sex offender list. And at first we weren't aware of this fact. And then some of our members, you know, he shared that he had been in jail. And so some, you know, people started looking him up on the internet and realizing who he was. And um, his crime had been actually, he had molested 15 and 16 year old girls. And so, um, you know, it was some serious stuff. He had done some serious jail time for it, you know, which is great. I mean, we want to see justice done in situations like that. And it was quite a dramatic uh, court case because he actually committed the crime in another state. And so whenever anything crosses state lines like that, the FBI gets involved. So the FBI was actually involved in apprehending him and bringing him to justice. So it was pretty intense. Well, our pastor is a wonderful, kind-hearted man. And we appreciate him because he took us in when nobody believed us and nobody wanted to help us. And we love that about who he is. So he took this man in and we wholeheartedly supported him. And what he said was, this man has done his time and he's turned his life around and he's given his life to Christ. And, you know, he's a true believer. So we are going to support him. And immediately 
we lost about half our church. People just took their families and left. And that, that was really hard. And so we didn't go anywhere. Um, I did have girls at that time that were in that age range. I was not worried about them because my daughters who are in that age range are very capable girls and very strong and independent. And, you know, I knew that if anything happened or if anything transpired, they would tell us, but also they would have no problem, you know, punching somebody if they needed to, you know, throat punch, no problem. Um, so I wasn't really, you know, that concerned. But as time went on, the people who were left at the church, we we began to have some issues with this gentleman. And it, and it had nothing to do with his past. He was very argumentative. Mm. And he wanted to change everything about the way the, the church was run. And over time, I, our pastor just let him do more and more. And then COVID hit. And we didn't meet in the church because of COVID. And when we came back from COVID and we were able to meet again, there were huge changes in our pastor. He wasn't preaching anymore. This guy was preaching from the pulpit. Um, our elders had left the church. So it was just the pastor in charge. And then our treasurer left. And, you know, I hate to say we didn't notice, but we were busy and we were involved with, you know, the, the youth side of the program of the church. And we just weren't aware, I guess, of what was going on. So at a certain point, the lady who used to be the treasurer, she reached out to me and she said, you know, my mom is elderly and she's attending and she is a mess about what's going on in the church. Could you maybe look into this and reach out and try to help with this. So we got involved with investigation and I am a trained forensic investigator. So it's a huge part of what we do. You know, I mean, I talk to somebody in the street and, you know, not all the time, but you know, if God impresses it on my heart within a few minutes, I, I can find out so much information about this person. And it's just a lot of training and the internet's a wonderful tool. And then I know a lot of people too. And so it helps. And as we got into this, we realized that our pastor may have been groomed by this guy. And we also realized mm. that there may have been intent to take over the church and edge us out. And we found out that he had actually been a cult leader before he went to jail. So the crime he got really in trouble for was the young girls, but his charisma had led him to be a cult leader on a small scale within our state. And Olivia, this stuff just doesn't happen every day. So when I say God literally brings stuff to my door, I'm not kidding. Like I'm not joking. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> So you know, the mm. end of the story is we interacted a lot with local law enforcement here. We get a lot of good advice from retired law enforcement that we know and work with. And we did a lot of consulting with a lot of people. And what we came up with as a plan was that our church needed new leadership to come beside the pastor and support him. 
we recognize that as people left the church, this man was left to do it all by himself and make all the decisions by himself. And we made him, we made him vulnerable to this guy because we left him standing there by himself. So what we did um, is we asked our pastor if we could have an election for new church leaders and people came forward and we now have a leadership committee standing around the pastor. And almost as soon as we started that process, this guy left the church. So what does that tell you? Mm. He didn't want anybody else. Talking to the pastor, having the pastor's ear, making decisions about the church's well-being. He had made himself treasurer, Olivia. Yeah. Yeah. And as I said, he was preaching from the pulpit and everything. So it was, it was a really scary experience and it kept us busy for a long time. And suffice it to say that my husband and I were now, we've made ourselves officially the watchdogs of our church because we just want this church to, you know, keep going. It's been around since the 1800s. It's a wonderful little body of believers. We love our pastor and his family. We feel terrible that we didn't give them the support before that obviously was lacking, but, you know, we've kind of made a commitment and a vow that now we're, we're definitely, you know, on the crew, we're going to be watching over this church family. So isn't that crazy? Crazy Yeah. And it it makes me really (laughs) think that, you know, those that are in leadership, they need our support too, you know, they really do. they need us to stand by them in, in hard times as well, because, you know, pastors sacrifice so much. Um, and, and, and I mean, not just pastors, but anybody in le- leadership positions that has to, you know, be in charge of, you know, not necessarily in charge and, but lead other people, you know, right. b- decision makers, They still have to, because none of us are perfect. They still have to have people that they can lean on and also get wise counsel themselves. So, um, man. And, you know, honestly, it's a good lesson because, you know, no one should be left to make decisions about a nonprofit by themselves. It's just a good lesson. You know, any nonprofit, it doesn't matter what the Mm -hmm. nonprofit is. There should always be some kind of a governing board so that, you know, there are multiple individuals with opinions and, you know, bringing their education experience into it. I just think that's profoundly important. That was just, that was for me, that was a big lesson, you know, that you don't just leave it all to one person. It's not fair. <laughs> yeah, you're not lying when you said God keeps you busy. I mean, like you've from from the victims that you're helping to your church, <laughs> to your children, <laughs> to your, you know, your own marriage, all the yes. stuff you got going on. And then, you know, getting your PhD. Yes. And, you know, it, oh my goodness. I was so happy yeah. when you I, I just want to touch on your dissertation <laughs> for a little bit, just because it was a struggle, man. It was such, oh man, you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. So um, 
we have a committee that's appointed to go through our research from the beginning and help us make decisions at pivotal points. And they're kind of, you know, there are other PhDs who've already published and have been teaching for a long time, have experience. Um, my chair is amazing. He's just this wonderful fount of wisdom. I can't say enough good about him. He's, he's amazing. And then um, we have a second committee member that we choose. And she is actually my content person. So she is uh, an expert in forensics. My first, uh, my chair is actually an expert in qualitative research. And that's what I wanted to do by interviewing police officers. So I needed a qualitative person and I needed a forensic person. And they're both just excellent. And then the university chooses a third member and they make that choice. And that person is kind of the head over everything. And they're called the university research reviewer. And so I didn't have any choice in who my URR person was. And, you know, my URR just came against any idea that we put forth. And for two years, she kept my process at a standstill. And we did everything we could think of, like everything. We tried so hard to, you know, push things forward and, and do what she was asking and make changes that she thought, you know, were appropriate. It's a downside to being outside, right? It's windy. And, you know, we just didn't make any forward progress, like none whatsoever. So at a certain point, I actually contacted somebody who's also forensics. He's a forensic expert. And I asked him for help. And, I, and he, you know, he also works at that university. I'd had him briefly for a section of a class and we developed, you know, like a, a really good mentorship. You know, he's a great mentor. He's just, he's been in the field for a long time. He has just the best advice and experience. And um, I'm actually going to name him because he's amazing. His name is Dr. Eric Hickey. And he's done a lot of work uh, worldwide with serial killers, with finding them, identifying them. He's worked with a lot of prestigious groups of, you know, law enforcement too. And so I reached out to him and I just said, I, I'm thinking about quitting. Like, I, I don't know what to do. I'm at my wits end. I, we've tried everything and we can't push this forward. So he actually did advocate and in, intervene on my behalf. And they did give me a new URR. And I was so thrilled because the person they gave me, I've been to, uh, we have to go to residencies. Mm -hmm. And I had been to seminars that she had conducted and she is also just an amazing qualitative researcher. She has such a heart for people, such a love for people. And so I, everything has gone really smoothly since she was put on my committee. And, you know, the, the bump we're hitting now with not getting participants, we actually wrote about it in the body of the dissertation. We expected police officers to not want to talk to us. We knew that that was um, a risk and it's understandable. I mean, police officers are under so much scrutiny right now mm -hmm. and we knew that they might be unwilling to, you know, share. So going to have to, you know, reframe it a little bit by using archival data and the two interviews that we've already received. But I do think that's the right choice. I need to graduate. I need to be done with this. And it's nice now to be able to actually do something to move it forward instead of, you know, being stuck at that same spot. So it's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I mean, excited. 
I, because I mean, it, it was a, I know you, it <clears throat> didn't you submit like five times? Oh, so many times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, it, it was like a lot. And, and I mean, how did, yeah. how did your, um, so I would consider that kind of like a wilderness time yeah. that you're going through, you know, two years. Uh, I know you're, you're a praying woman. So you, you, you were sitting there praying and asking God and, you know, questioning, you know, should I, is this really what I should be doing? You know, because yeah, you're considering quitting, you know, yeah. and, and yeah. you were openly saying that too. So you were really considering it. So I know you were yeah. praying on it and, oh, yeah. um, um, what helped you, um, continue to keep going? I mean, I think there's a lot of pressure, you know, you, you feel peer pressure, you know, you, you don't want to let people down. You know, there are a lot of people that invested, you know, a lot of time in my process. I, I think my chair being one of them. I mean, this guy just never gave up on me. You know, he was just there you know, submission after submission, he was there saying, okay, let's go back to the drawing board. Let's try something different. Let's see if we can make this work to make her happy. Um, so he was just a real big driving force. And, you know, my prayers, you're right. I was just like, oh Lord, you know, I, is this really what you want for me? I mean, I thought it was, you know, you've propelled me in this direction for a long time, for many years, but you know, this is crazy. Like, when is this going to end? And, um, I don't really know what made me reach out to Dr. Hickey, but it probably was the Lord because, you know, it just sort of hit me one day. I was thinking, I, who can I go to to ask? Because, you know, I've talked to other people and, and nothing has happened. I had talked to my program director. I had talked to different officials at the school, my student advisor, like nothing had worked. So I do think it was the Lord that just kind of propelled me in that direction. And I, I'm a big believer in the Holy Spirit. I definitely listen for that still small voice to propel me in the right direction and to keep me going. So, yeah, you know, I think not wanting to let people down who had invested so much time and energy into me, into the project. And I think the other driving force is just the research is so important. Like, I just want to talk a little bit about that for a few minutes, if I could. It's so important. In the state that we live, 60% of all female homicides are at the hands of an intimate partner. So that means that if we figure out how to do this better and we derail the plans and we derail and de-escalate these situations, we could save 60% of the women murdered in my state. That's stunning to me that it could make that much of a difference for people if we could figure out how to do domestic violence calls better. If we could figure out how to help victims and their families better, we could save 60% of the women murdered in my state. That's huge. Huge. So just knowing how important and how impactful there's your word impactful right this research is i think that kept me going as well you know kept driving me forward to just not give up 
You know, I posted a reel about this on Relentless Glory today. Um, and uh, it was about, you know, what's the person that's like really helped, you know, inspire you and, you know, just done the most. I'm like, they're probably living out their purpose. And how are you living out your purpose? Because we all have God-given gifts, you know, yeah. and, and it's our job and it ain't going to be easy. Like it's not going to be easy. And when you're doing something so big, like changing yeah. lives, helping yeah. lives be here, there's going to be so much pushback and you're going to have to fight so much harder. And it's like, when you're going through it, it's just like, why? Like, why do I have to do this? I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing the right oh, yeah. thing. Why? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I have many days where I'm like, cause my original career was teaching and I love, I love little kids. I love the little guys. That's why I had so many of my own. And, you know, many days where I'm like, Lord, why can't I just have another baby, be a stay-at-home mom again. I love doing that. That was great. Or why can't I just be a kindergarten teacher? Like, why do I have to be here doing this, looking at this, dealing with this? Why can't I go back to my nice, peaceful existence that I had, you know, before the domestic violence with my ex-husband? And, you know, the Lord's voice is just always so clear, right? He says, who will go, right? Who will go? That was what I had in my in my mind. If not you, then who? Who will go? Right. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So I'm here. I'm stuck. <laughs> the yeah. Lord has me stuck. But this is this is where I'm supposed to be for sure. Yeah, you have to answer that calling, man. Well, I'm I'm so happy to continue watching your journey and everything. I'm so happy that Marcia that you came on yeah. today. And you know, thank you for sharing the stories. Like yeah. I felt like, you know, I don't do like crime podcast at all but I felt like this was like real life crime podcast like we oh, talked yeah. about a cult oh, yeah. leader we talked about we we talked yes. about good outcomes of all of these things um and, you know if if your viewers like my stories I did start um you can google forensic psychology in your backyard and I have some YouTube videos there and, um, you know, I share some of these stories about these cases, sometimes as we go along, usually after they're resolved. But, you know, it's it's some interesting stuff. And I also kind of relate it to famous serial killers. And I relate it to, you know, headlines, recent headlines, things like that. So, so yeah, I started doing that a little bit. My kids wanted me to do that. They were like, Mom, you got to be on YouTube. That's really important. So I started doing some videos, you know, a few months back. Um, awesome. with, you know, some of those things. Okay. Well, I'll definitely have that yeah. in the, the links below as well. So you guys can check that out. That's <laughs> okay. something you're interested in. Marcia, thank you so much for being here. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Olivia. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Empowered Woman Badass and Unfiltered Podcast. If you found any value in this, please consider sharing and subscribing. Now go out and be a badass.